Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. I'm the publisher on Women's Agenda and I'm with Editor-in-Chief Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hello. On today's agenda, we'll be discussing the woman who is taking on Craig Kelly. We will touch on cryptocurrency just for something a little bit different. COP26 and the great burnout that is happening. Thank you for listening. So, Tyler, how are you? I'm good this week, Ange. Are you ready to discuss burnout? I feel like it's just about that time in the year when we should be discussing this. Or is it about that time in the pandemic when burnout has... Yeah. (laughs) I think burnout is a hot topic for most women in Australia and across the world probably at the moment. Yes. It's been affecting so many of us and we know that from the recent study we did on women's ambitions that found that 39% of women in Australia were either experiencing burnout at the moment or they held fears that they would soon be experiencing burnout. And I believe you wrote a piece this week on burnout as well, Ange. I did. And I believe we'll make it a topic of conversation for today's episode. We will get to it. But first, let's start with wins. What is your win? So my win this week comes in the form of Georgia Steele, who is the woman taking on Craig Kelly in Hughes at the next election. Georgia spoke to Madeline Hislop, one of our journalists this week, about her motivation for wanting to run in that race. And she said, that she's basically been watching on in horror for years as the federal government has stalled on action on climate change and watching her local MP, Craig Kelly, purposely spout dangerous misinformation, dare I say disinformation, during the pandemic has really propelled her into wanting to run in this race. And she is really confident that Craig Kelly doesn't really stand a chance in the next election. She thinks that People of Hughes are more likely to vote in the next Liberal candidate, but because it's been such a safe Liberal seat for so long, but she doesn't think that Kelly has the support behind him to be elected next round. But she is definitely trying to move in and take that seat. And she was talking about, you know, the other independent MPs like Helen Haynes and Zali Stegall, who won seats in pretty amazing record ways in 2019, especially Zali Stegall, who, as we remember, took over Warringah from Tony Abbott. I am really pleased to see that there are very strong female candidates in the race, especially to get rid of Craig Kelly, who, by all accounts, I just feel like his time in the sun is well and truly over. Not sure how you could live in Hughes and not actually want to run for that seat. I know. <laughs> Surely you'd want to do something, but, yeah, well done to her. I think we'll see a lot more female candidates running as independents and it shakes up politics. It does a good thing. So we'll wait to see more. Um, so what's your win, Ange? My win is the women at COP26 in Glasgow, the major climate talks that are happening right now. So women from all backgrounds, women of all ages, Indigenous women. These are the voices that we really need right now to keep the hopes of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees, to keep that hope actually alive. Sadly, though, they're not necessarily the voices who will be directly determining the outcomes of COP that still pretty much rests with world leaders. And as we know, they are overwhelmingly majority male. And we've just published a photo, which I said in our newsletter today, really just absolutely says a thousand words regarding who will ultimately make the decisions. And sadly, it's very similar to who's been making a lot of these decisions in the past. But 
to the women who are keeping those hopes alive, who are being really loud and noisy at COP26 and who are highlighting the need for a feminist approach for climate action. It is so important. I believe they're wearing orange as well, or at least wearing orange today to really signal that. And I think, you know, we've seen over the past couple of years what a major disaster, you know, a pandemic. What happens to women during a pandemic? It sees us losing our jobs. It sees rates of violence increasing. It sees us overwhelmed and taking on added responsibilities. And this is also the reality in climate-related disasters as well. And those climate-related disasters are already occurring. We saw the bushfires in Australia, but, you know, particularly overseas um, where we're really trying to fight for gender equality and added wins to get more women educated, to get more women free from the threat of gender-based violence and more girls and women pursuing an education. But we are at so much risk of losing those gains that have been made. This week, Plan International Australia published a report from Zimbabwe and Zambia that was written by young women across those two countries, just highlighting what they are facing. And in those rural areas, they spoke about girls being married off because of changing weather patterns, which sees, you know, their food supplies and family agriculture-based businesses threatened and therefore not able to access an income, not able to, to feed their family. So you do see young girls being married off. They're seeing schools that are closing due to flooding. They're seeing girls and women having to walk further to fetch water, which is a traditional female role. And the Malala Foundation estimates that 4 million girls will not complete the 2021 school year, not because of COVID, but because of climate-related disasters, you know, 4 million girls. So it's a lot and we need to have these conversations and it's why I bring it up pretty much every week and every day. But we also just need to make sure that we're hearing those female voices, particularly young women, not just that we're hearing them because I actually think we are actually hearing those voices and we've published some of those voices this week and they too get a lot of attention. They are seen as really inspirational and in giving these really um, direct speeches that talk to the risk that we're facing on the planet right now. But to actually have those voices heard in a way that makes a difference, it sees those decision makers put aside a lot of the self-interest and think how can we work together and how can we actually get to an agreement here that will actually make the difference that we need. And also seeing those voices become the leaders that we need to implement those kind of policies. Absolutely. So, yeah, speaking of, you know, COP26, I mean, Scott Morrison's doing a great job of... Oh, mate, is he ever? ...making an absolute (laughs) diplomatic disaster of himself and Australia. I think that's putting it very kindly. So um, I feel like we won't really go too much into this story. We've obviously covered it, but I feel like by the time this podcast comes out, there'll be a new level of this diplomatic disaster that will surpass what we've just discussed. So I just don't feel the point, but yeah. I just made the point earlier to you though, like in this whole kind of Macron-Morrison saga, I think it is Morrison's fatal flaw, and I've I've mentioned this before, but his absolute inability to budge on anything, to apologise, to show some accountability. And I think in the nature of foreign affairs and diplomacy, it's so important. You know, sometimes you do actually have to tread that line and it may not be exactly what you want to do. He may feel like he's been slighted in some way by Macron or Macron's being a bit underhand about the way he's going about things. I don't know. I think Macron's fury is probably emblematic of something pretty shit having happened to him. But nonetheless, 
Morrison just does not know how to tread that line. And I think it's a huge problem to have a national leader who's unwilling to do that and to just be cautious and stable in that sense. And yeah, it just has blown out into this huge, huge thing. And I think Turnbull was right about, you know, saying that Morrison was sacrificing potential sovereignty for Australia. And these relationships are very critical. You know, our relationship with France is really important. And he has tarnished that in a really profound way for probably a long, long time. Yeah, and he's kind of pissing off other countries in the process as well, as we've seen. I mean, I don't think the US are too happy because it sounds like Joe Biden thought that things were a little bit more covered, again, diplomatically, that you might expect from somebody else. But, you know, on the apologies thing, I mean, I think the thing is, is that in Australia, we know that the Prime Minister lies. There's good documentation around the different lies that he said. We know the Prime Minister doesn't like the word sorry. Like he never apologised to Christine Holgate. He never apologised for telling protesters that they should be grateful that they weren't met with bullets when they marched in Canberra for the Women's March. There's so many things along the way that he's never apologised for. He, he often says that he expresses regret, that he wishes that he put it a different way. He never apologises. One of the only times I've seen him apologise is actually to News Limited Papers when he made a suggestion about that. But other than that, he just, he doesn't apologise. And so now we're putting this on the world stage and maybe we've been somewhat buffeted through COVID through this because he has mostly been home. But we've spoken about the orchestra treaty in the past and we've spoken about, you know, even that level of massive decision that's been made and, and what it's done to our European relations and what it potentially does for our future and any future Prime Minister as well in terms of what we are aligning ourselves to now. But it's just not that hard. You, you know, you and I were talking about it before. It's like like it feels like we apologise every two minutes. I just, I know. I'd be great in diplomacy actually. <laughs> <laughs> the apology thing I've got covered for sure. I don't know what it is though. It does seem to be a very male-like issue, this lack of apologising. Oh, it's a very Morrison issue. Like <laughs> it's a very Morrison issue. Like he, Joe Biden's not going and leaking like text messages and stuff. Well, you saw Joe Biden like the day after the fallout happened, and you know, f- with France getting pissed off about the whole situation, you saw Joe Biden the day after go and try to like call Macron and try to make good. Like it just doesn't happen from Morrison. He doesn't get it. I think he thinks these things are beneath him, which is so so bizarre for someone who's leading a country that has significant influence on world decisions. Yeah, well, you know, he didn't want to go to Glasgow. He probably wishes that he didn't go. But he's there <laughs> it's now. not been a good so, wish for him, let's face it. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't been a great trip at all. Oh, Scotty. Okay, so let's talk about burnout. Tyler, as you highlighted at the beginning of the episode, we did find recently surveying uh, around 1,500 women that 39% say that burnout might get in the way, a potential hurdle in the way of their ambitions over the next two years, and that came just slightly behind confidence in my abilities as a potential hindrance. Everyone's talking about burnout. We were talking about it a year ago. I've been doing a series around women's mental health and interviewing a few different people and I'm going back and I'm seeing so many of the conversations that were had sort of in June last year talking about you know the impact of COVID on, on women's mental health at that point. And so now here we are 
almost 18 months later, having gone through multiple additional lockdowns. So this has been obviously an exhausting period. So I wrote about burnout this week and I wrote about it in the context of the great resignation, which everyone's talking about the great resignation. We don't know how true it is necessarily in Australia, but in America it's seeing millions of people basically resigning from their jobs, looking for something different, basically saying, well, I don't want to work in the type of industry anymore. I want to try and do something that I'm more interested in. And, you know, a lot of problems around that as a result of COVID, like this is one of the outcomes of COVID. I've looked at it from a different angle, just looking at sort of the great burnout in a sense and really the impact for women. So, you know, and in corporates we'll see this with women facing burnout, particularly women who may have taken on added responsibilities over the past 18 months with added childcare responsibilities or domestic duties, whatever it is, homeschool. But I think the biggest risk to all of us, to our entire economy is, and we've touched on these things, but I think just to see it all together is women on front lines that have been on the front lines this entire time in industries that are heavily female dominated across healthcare, across early childhood education, across retail, like women who have been showing up to work this whole time, who who never stayed home, who did need to go and continue going to their place of work and serving the people that they serve and, and then take on the added anxiety of dealing with their own personal safety, but often having to make decisions about the safety of others and what they're going to do around COVID protocols and the like. And we've seen some of the stats around this, you know, in childcare that 73% of early childhood care educators are thinking of leaving the sector within the next three years. This is massive. And this burnout, I mean, it's not just a COVID thing. This burnout is everything. It's about not feeling appreciated at work. It's about not getting paid enough at work. That's the biggest one. In some cases, it's about not having the flexibility around your other caring responsibilities that's going on. And now in other cases with remote work and even when you have got the flexibility, it's about then being on 24-7. There are no boundaries anymore for some people that work is home, home is work. Like, of course, that will lead to burnout. I think it's a massive issue. And I spoke on ABC News a couple of weeks ago about this and about our ambition report and some of the findings there. And I do think that one of the things that we need to consider and that government and employers need to safeguard against is the high rate of talent that we're likely to lose with women experiencing burnout at the severity that they are and the rate they are. Because when you have that huge a percentage of people, and we're talking about 51% of the population, by our research, you know, 39% of them are citing that fear. It's not like an isolated event. It lasts for a long time and it's really hard to kind of recalibrate and get back together after it. And I just really feel like employers especially need to be putting in mechanisms to better support their female workforce right now. And especially, you know, you've got a couple of months now before the end of the year, like really think about what your legacy is going to be there and how you plan on on making things easier and alleviating some of that burden. Because there are definite ways to do that. You know, we know, as you mentioned there, that that many women are seeking more flexible options. They're seeking greater pay, greater autonomy, you know, being valued more in the workplace. There are so many things that will really help. I think it really depends on employers being progressive and understanding enough of the crisis to act on that. 
Yeah, I couldn't help but notice this in the financial review. It's an interview with Pip Marlowe, the APAC CEO of Salesforce, and she is responding not into in terms of burnout, but rather to this idea of the great resignation. And she's calling it a number of greats. She says the great relocation, this idea that you don't necessarily have to be working in the CBD every day and therefore that's going to save people time. And then she talks about the great realignment, which is the realignment to your values and this idea that you want to work for a company and organisation that can align with your values. And therefore, it is really the companies that need to come along and think about how they can realign themselves to meet the values of the staff they want to have in their businesses. So I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it in terms of who will win in these talent wars that are already with us but will just get more competitive and fierce in the future. But when it comes to some of those frontline services, you know, early childhood education, there's so much required at a policy level. Like I don't know that it's the employees that can solve it. There is so much, so much more significant work that needs to be done there, particularly on pay and conditions and hours and appreciation. Yeah, definitely. And we'll be talking more about this topic on the 26th of November when we hold our free virtual Women's Health at Work Summit, which we're really excited about. We've got an amazing lineup of speakers and amazing mental health experts and professionals talking about various impacts on women's mental health over this period and beyond. So definitely tune in if you get the chance to, and we have links to the registration page across Women's Agenda now. Okay, so it's time for our FinHack segment, which is supported by Superhero the app that makes investing accessible and affordable for everyone. Thank you again to Superhero because you not only create that app, but you also help keep us publishing on Women's Agenda and make this podcast possible. Each week in FinHacks, we like to look at a certain stat or a story that we've come across over the past few days and link it to a FinHack that we've either learnt ourselves or have also come across ourselves. This week, we are going to touch, it's going to be very light because obviously this is a massive issue, but we do want to touch on cryptocurrency. One of the stats that we saw this week, which is one that I find a little bit alarming because we do know that some people are currently being very successful via investing in cryptocurrencies. But this stat finds, and this stat is from Gemini, it finds that 26% of those investing in crypto are women. So just a quarter of those investing are women. And I don't know what the stat is regarding how much is being invested, but I'm going to assume that women are not making up for that 26% figure by investing significant loads other than that. And as we discussed last week, there are a number of different factors that lead to that. But, you know, do we risk just missing out on the crypto bandwagon? Is it here to stay? We're probably not the people to answer that question. But if you do want to get started, Tala, what what are your suggestions? Look, I think it's an interesting one, hey, because I've got, people in my life who do invest in cryptocurrency and pretty fiercely as well. Um, My brother is a very fierce crypto investor. I'm not sure that he's always right, but in true male form, he likes to think that he's always right. So I think that actually bodes in his favor as well when he's pursuing this. But I did want to kind of delve into this a little bit more because I think that that stat around only a quarter of investors in crypto being women is something to unpack a little bit. I get it. I think that we know the stories around crypto are pretty terrifying. It seems like you can go on any news site any day and 
there are stories about crashes or surges and it just seems like a giant roller coaster. But I do think that if you have the means to look at cryptocurrency as an investment strategy, it might be worth dipping your toe in. But I think the key is to tread slowly and carefully, especially when you're starting out. And I've I've done a little bit of research on your behalf and there are a few little tips that I can impart, I guess. I mean, firstly, I think the main thing that I, I've gotten from my research is just that you should do your research. So research reputable brands in the market which provide exchange services Don't get kind of sucked into looking for the best deal when you're a beginner because it's a good way to fall into the trap of a scam and we know that scams are pretty prolific in the crypto arena. Another tip was around, you know, starting with a simple strategy that's simple to implement and maintain. And the thing to remember with crypto is there's unfortunately no way to eliminate risk completely. There's no guarantee of returns ever, but there are ways to better protect yourself from significant loss. So building a portfolio rather than putting all your eggs in one basket with one asset can help. Another tip is to find a reputable app that can help you automate your strategy and portfolio so you don't have to monitor things 24-7 because, as you know, this investment industry is alive all the time. The globe never sleeps. So if you're constantly monitoring things online, you will likely go crazy and be patient with it. So learn everything you can about your preferred strategy and enjoy the process of learning that. It is a volatile market, but things won't necessarily happen overnight. And there are plenty of groups as well that you can lean on for help. So I looked at the Shrimpy website, which provides helpful tools and resources, but there are a number of other sites that you can look at as well. And and also, you know, lean on people that you know, because I think at this point in time, most of us do know people that are investing in cryptocurrency and ask for their advice and ask how they got started. It might not be the safest way to invest your money. And I understand the risk awareness that some women would have around it. But I do think that it is probably not a bandwagon that we want to miss out on completely because we know that people have built very significant fortunes off cryptocurrency. Mm. There are also people who have significant fortunes who have never invested in cryptocurrency, I might add. So it's not like the be all and end all. There are other things and other places to go and obviously do your own research and it's obviously totally dependent on your own circumstances as well. One thing I did recall was that um, Jenny Hill wrote a couple of pieces for Women's Agenda in the past couple of years and she spoke about how she got interested in cryptocurrency for the first time and just started investing and then started meeting up with other women who were doing so and ended up in their own kind of investment circle, a little group where they'd catch up and talk about what they were doing and you know they weren't overly wealthy people they just found this interesting and she talked about the community that was there so see if you can find those communities I know it's a bit hard with lockdowns but see if you can find them or if you can form your own that is our fin hat segment for this week once again it is supported by superhero so thank you to superhero and you can learn more about your options at superhero.com.au or download the superhero app So, Tala, that's this week's episode. Anything else you'd like to add? Any final Um, thoughts? Do you know what I've been watching this week, which has been a little bit mind-boggling, is Parental Guidance, which I believe is on Channel 9. 
and it's hosted by Alison Langdon. It's kind of following this idea of what the best parenting style is. So they have all these very siloed parenting styles, strict parents, helicopter parents, routine parents, and then they do all these tasks with their kids and and then they essentially vote on what the best form of parenting is. And I think all it's made me realise is that following one mode of parenting is like the stupidest thing you can do. (laughs) I think approaches to parenting are just integrated and you're being a bit more organic about it rather than trying to adhere to like select principles just a mind-boggling show to watch (laughs) and it just baffles me that people really believe that kind of parenting in one select way is the right way to do it like watching it it's very clear that there are bits that I would take from each individual style so there you go that's been my epiphany for the week my parenting epiphany for the week I haven't watched it I've heard about it I guess um, I heard one of the parenting experts interviewed on a podcast, the How I Work podcast, I believe it was, we'll link to it. One thing in terms of the conversations that I have heard about it, which I think speaks to your point, Tyler, and I should probably go and watch this before making this statement, but is that the circumstances matter. So if you have an only child, uh, I think what works for parenting an only child might be quite different to what works for parenting multiple children and that's how I've heard the contrast I've heard that there's a couple who have like they call them the quads or something there's four boys and there's a couple that has one child and wouldn't you know look how well behaved this only child is as she sits at the table and eats with all these beautiful manners but I I do think that there are different circumstances Um, children behave differently as well and children respond differently to different parenting techniques so I am possibly the worst person to ever give like even a piece oh, yeah, of advice. I won't advice, be giving advice. I just watch the advice being given to me and go, that's silly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, one thing I did hear about this parenting expert was, I mean, it's probably a good tip, but he talked about how the magic morning and that the things, the ingredients that, that work for him and his family, I think he has four children at home, maybe they're, they're teenagers, maybe they're a little bit older. Um, and he talks about that idea that they wake their kids up about 15 minutes before they need to get up and they'll go in and kind of have a quiet word with their children and have a bit of a moment and let them reflect in that 30 seconds or so, which did sound like a great idea and really nice. I can't remember the last time that I needed to wake my children up <laughs> in the morning. Like it just doesn't work like that. Maybe that will change in the future. But <laughs> Okay, so well away from parenting advice, I did want to share a little reminder that comes from our partner, Dell, who are running the Dream Tech competition. Entries are still open, so you can go and share your unique business story and how you'd use a big tech boost to go in the draw to win $40,000 in game-changing tech solutions. And I know that that would be a huge boost to our particular business, Tyler, but I don't think we can enter. So everybody else... (laughs) Go and enter, give it a go. It can really change everything. So go to dell.com forward slash Dwen. Well, thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder, you can get all these stories that we've discussed and more at our website. We can also subscribe to our daily newsletter. Thank you again to Superhero for supporting this week's episode. 
And a reminder also to go and check out the Women's Health at Work Summit. You'll find details about that on our website as well. It is completely free to attend and we're really excited about the different speakers that we have engaged for that day. And of course, it's virtual as well. So you can dip in and out as you see fit. Thank you for listening.